0: So the Bible reading today is Psalm 126, which we'll find on page 441 of the Bibles there, or uh, of course you can follow along on the screen. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Koops joins us today and uh, a few months ago actually he came here for uh, to check us out, and it got me thinking about the first time I came to this church. Um, my wife Kathy and I came over from New South Wales to kind of for for the leaders to check us out to see if they wanted us to me to be the minister here, and for us to see if, if we wanted to come over here. And I was struck by just how friendly you guys were as a church uh, when we came. People welcomed us at the door. We sat somewhere over here, and I think the air conditioning was blowing across on us. After the service, people came and the same people who welcomed us at the beginning came and said, how did you find it? And the thing was, nobody really knew who we were. Uh, We'd actually came kind of incognito. Only a couple of people knew that we were checking out the church. And sometimes, you know, when people find out that you're from interstate, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you notice um, once they find that out, they become less interested in you. Because they think, oh, well, there's not really much point getting to know you because you're just going to disappear and, and they'll never get to see you again. But we didn't find that. We found people had a really warm and generous heart here. And so when I, I first became the minister five years ago, to this day, I think, actually, my thought was, there is so much to love about this church. And so my one goal at that point was, don't mess it up, Stephen. Now, there is so much to love about this church. People have got a real love for God here, a real love for God's people, a real love for Adelaide's North. People aren't particularly self-righteous or pretending that they've got it all together. There's a real sense that we all need God. We're all loved by God. There's a real sense, I think, that We've all got something to offer and so everyone does their part, does their bit, shares the load. We've got a great community with things like meal rosters, play group and community groups and even crabbing. It really is a great church to be a part of. But as we've just heard this morning, our plan as a church is to disrupt that. Our plan is to send out a group of 50 to 60 people to start a new church in six months' time. Just stop and think about that. I mean, you get an idea when you see 30 gather up the front. But 50 to 60, that's one in four. Or in your community group, that's like four members of your group going. That's pretty disruptive to our church, don't you reckon? It's hard saying goodbye to people. You know, it's, it's not like they're dying. We'll, we'll see each other around, but, but it's not the same. We won't do life together. We won't see each other weekly, a couple of times a week. And it also means that we're going to lose a whole heap of, of leaders as a church. And so we'll need more people to do Trinity Kids and Crèche. It means music will probably go backwards for a bit. And it means we probably won't be able to do some of the things that we, we have been able to do and so it's tempting to think why why would we cause ourselves this pain why would we we risk disrupting our church like this why not just enjoy being the size we're at right now not too big not too small why don't we just continue in this comfortable position there's lots of reasons why but the psalm that We're going to look at today shows us a big picture kind of reason. It shows us the the shape of life when we know God. It it shows us the shape of life for those who are in God's kingdom. We're going to work through this psalm, Psalm 126, and we're going to see the shape of life that it traces out. And we're going to think about how God speaks to us in our, our year of church planting ahead through this psalm. Psalm 126 is a song, a song that was written a long, long time ago, about two and a half thousand years ago. So 500 years before even Jesus' time. And it's it's written to God's people who are living in Israel. But as we'll see, it presents the shape of life. It traces out the shape of life for them. But this still applies to us today. Now, the first part of the shape of life that the psalm traces out is that for God's people at that time, they were like those who laugh and dream. That was part of the shape of life in God's kingdom for them. And they were like this because of what God had done for them. So look with me again at verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed... Now Zion is, a, is another name for Jerusalem. It's their home city. Now I love this image. They're so unbelievably happy that, that they're like someone having a daydream. They've got smiles that, that they just can't wipe off their faces, that their eyes are sparkling. It makes me think of what a, a groom looks like when his bride comes down the aisle, or what a, a new mother looks like after labor, that first time when she's handed handed her baby. When God restored their city, they were over the moon. If you're not familiar with the Bible and with Israel's history, what this is talking about is when God's people were able to return to their homeland after being in exile, this is what they were like. So for a large part of, of their history, God's people had given up on God They'd given up on their calling to serve God and and to be a light to the nations around them. And so eventually, after many, many years, God stopped shielding them, protecting them from the nations around them. He let them go. And so in the 6th century BC, they were overtaken by the Babylonians. And they were carried off into exile from their land to Babylon. And their homeland and their city, their home city, Jerusalem, was decimated. But despite them having given up on God, he doesn't give up on them. He has mercy on them and he brings them back home. What happened in history was another nation overtakes Babylon, the Persians. And miraculously, the Persians sent God's people back to Jerusalem with orders and money to rebuild it. And they can't believe their luck. It feels like a dream. They feel like at any moment they can just burst into song. And they do. Look at verse 2. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Actually, many years before this, the prophet Isaiah predicted that this would happen. In Isaiah 51 verse 11, he wrote, Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, this is God talking, even I am he who comforts you. They were returning to their land, to their nation, their city. They were returning to their God and to their very purpose for existing. And they know it. And the whole world knows it. Look at verse 2. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. This is the first part of the shape of life in God's kingdom that this song traces out. And it traces a shape that's, that's true for them, but it's also true for us if we know God. God's people live in sheer wonder and, and joy at what he's done, done for them. Now, we'll, we'll come back to what this means for us in a little bit, but let's stick with them for a bit longer because despite their joy, despite the laughter and, and the dreams come true, there's actually still more to the picture. Despite God having restored their fortunes, look at what they then say in verse 4 restore our fortunes Lord like streams in the Negev so they were like those who laugh and dream and yet what we see next in the psalm is that they were like those who weep there's a sense where their fortunes have already been restored and yet there's quite an intense sense here that their fortunes are not yet fully restored there's a strong longing in this poem Now, the Negev is is in the south of their land. It's a desert kind of area that you can see up there. But when the rains come, the creeks would fill and the dry, barren land would become fertile and life-giving. And we've we've had a taste of that over this last weekend of what it's like. They recognise they're caught between these two things. Already their fortunes are restored miraculously, unbelievably. But at the same time, they're not yet where they long to be. They're actually saying they're like the Negev, dry, waiting for rain. They're caught between two states. And the point is, the middle ground isn't an easy place to inhabit. Look at verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. They've come back to their homeland, but there's hard times ahead. And it's clear God's been miraculously at work, and yet there's still plenty to do to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, I don't think it's that hard for us to, to get a picture of this or to get a feeling for what this must have been like. Um, we, most of us None of us were around at this point, but, but we all know it well enough, I think, to kind of feel the kind of things that they would have been feeling back then. When World War II ended, there was this overflowing joy that, that spilled onto the streets with dancing, singing, it was like a dream. And yet, in the days after, there was the hard work of, of years of rebuilding. That's, that's the kind of feeling that we get in this song. That's captured in in these closing lines. The shape of of life in God's kingdom. It really is wonder and joy at what God has done. But it really is at the same time longing for God to do more. But there's another idea that's introduced here as well. Look again at at verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy it's the idea that that life is sowing with tears but but not tears alone life now is sowing with tears and with hope and not the kind of hope like we usually think about it wishful thinking kind of hope they sow with certain hope do you see the shape of life in god's kingdom for them it's a bit of an awkward shape. It's, it's a bit confusing for them. It's this strange mix of unbelievable joy. And yet, it can be a time of tears. While at the same time, a time of certain hope. But the point is, all the time, the future is certain. There will be a harvest of joy. It's coming. Now, if you stop and think about it. Sowing doesn't normally guarantee a harvest. I can tell you this for an absolute fact. This is a picture of my veggie patch. I don't know if you can see, but that's some of the sorriest looking corn around. When we harvest that, there's not going to be any singing, I can tell you. Sowing usually doesn't guarantee a harvest at all. You know, most farmers, they sink tens of thousands of dollars into the soil never able to be certain that they'll even get their money back, let alone turn a profit. But this song shows that the shape of life in God's kingdom is completely different. The real power of this song is that this harvest that they're working towards, it's inevitable, irrevocable, inescapable. It's coming. It will happen. And the reason is because they're not sowing into their own human kingdoms. They're sowing their lot in with God's kingdom. They were back there in Jerusalem having returned from Babylon because they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Look at the work that God promised that he would do many, many years earlier, talking about this time and beyond. Look at the work that God promises that he's going to do with his kingdom. This is again from Isaiah 65. God says... See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. And a few verses later, God says... My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain. They come to a broken down city with the difficult job of rebuilding it and it's hard and it's painful but they know that those who sow with tears now will reap with songs of joy. They could have stayed and lived quite comfortable lives in Babylon but seeking comfort outside of god that's not the shape of life in god's kingdom because it won't deliver a harvest in the end it will always disappoint it won't actually bring comfort in the end it will leave us destitute they're throwing their work into the work god was doing because god will always accomplish his work the idea is if you sow in god's kingdom you will reap because it's God who's going to ensure the harvest. That's the shape of life in God's kingdom that this psalm traces for them two and a half thousand years ago. But actually, the shape of life in God's kingdom has always been the same. And it remains the same for us today. Those of us who, who know and, and who love God, just like them, we're those who laugh and, and dream because of what God's done for us. When we look back at our lives and we think about what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, we're so thankful. When we look back at our lives together as a church these last 10 years, we're so thankful. And when we think about Jesus especially, what he did for us at the cross, for each one of us, and his resurrection, that we are now children loved by God, fully forgiven by God, fully accepted by God as his children. Nothing we have done, nothing we can do, can ever separate us from God's love and acceptance of us, while ever we trust in Jesus. When we think about that, we're even more like those who laugh and dream than the people in this song. You see this in in, um, this kind of wonder expressed in, in songs today songs like amazing grace you know where john newton wrote about this amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me how precious did that grace appear the hour i first believed and when you get a christian talking about what jesus has has done for them it's like laughter and when you hear someone else telling the story of what Jesus has done for them, well, we share their wonder and their joy. One of you, a few months ago, was telling me how you never found acceptance in your own family. Uh, You were basically not welcome at home from the age of 15 onwards and never never felt loved by your mum or your your family. But at the age of 20, you found Jesus. And you found a, a father who loves you unconditionally. And a family that, that's not perfect, but you found other Christians who would love you and welcome you. And talking about it and, and hearing what God had done for you, it's like dreaming. It's like laughing. That's part of the shape of what it means for us to belong to God's kingdom. And yet, you know, this same person was telling me that life's not been fully easy for them since. Scars remain. New challenges arise. And it's the same for all of us. We're like those who dream and yet at the same time, we're those who pray, restore our fortunes, Lord. Sometimes we feel dry and parched. We long for the streams to flow. We're tired of our own sinfulness, tired of of the mess and the struggle of this world. We long to see Jesus glorified and we long to be free from the, the mess and the pain of this world, sickness and our own sinfulness. That's the shape of life in God's kingdom for us. Life between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' return, it's an awkward, confusing shape for us at times. It's hard. And it can be sowing in tears for us too. But the power of this song is ours. It equally applies to us, like for them. We too can work in tears, certain that God will work for us a joyful harvest. Sowing our lives into God's kingdom, it, it can be hard at times, but it's worth it. You know, it, it's far easier not to worry about God's kingdom. It's far easier to, to live for comfort. It's far easier to live for ourselves, you know, to sow into our kingdom of work or our kingdom of owning a house or collecting experiences or making a name for ourselves. It's far easier just not to worry about what God cares about at all. But listen to what the Bible says to us, to people who follow Jesus. Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, this isn't some kind of, you know, cosmic investment scheme. Put in X and you will receive a return rate of, of Y in the afterlife. That's to miss the point. This is about what cause is actually worth living and dying for. What kingdom is worth belonging to, not just in name, but in practice? What kingdom is worth working towards? Your own kingdom, which won't yield a harvest in the end? Or God's kingdom, which can mean sowing in tears right now, but means we will reap a harvest that God is bringing? Jesus, of course, made this crystal clear. Last year you might remember we were looking at John's Gospel and next week we're actually going to take up again in John's Gospel in the very next chapter in chapter 13. But where we finished last year was in chapter 12 where Jesus said, very truly I tell you unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds. The idea is that Jesus is like a kernel of of wheat sown in tears, but he brings a harvest of life and joy to, to anyone who trusts in him. And look at what he tells us just a couple of verses later in verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. Sowing in tears to reap inevitable joy, well, that's the shape of God's kingdom. It's the shape that Jesus himself followed and it's the shape of life that he calls us to follow too. And it's the only shape of life that will bring comfort and joy in the end. Why are we launching the year with this psalm? Well, it's because even though this is always the shape of life for us in God's kingdom, and we should always remember that, I reckon this is a year where we really need to remember this. Because this is for you, you know, we've talked about church planting. It's going to be critical that we remember this, this year. The Christian life, it's often a strange mix of joy and dreaming at what God's done for us, while at the same time weeping and longing for God to do, do more again, and being certain of what's to come. But my guess is that 2020 at times is going to be especially a confusing and awkward mix for us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate our our, our 10th year birthday as a church and we'll have so much joy and so much to celebrate but then at the same time we've got so much work to do and some of that work involves sowing with tears some of us will be doing the work of sending some will be doing the work of going but as a church we really are hoping that all of us will be doing the work of seeking God's glory and it is exciting, it's joyful, and yet at the same time, it's hard and it's sad. Some send, and they're left behind. They're left missing friends, they're left with gaps in their church. Some go, and it's pretty challenging work, sowing a new church. You leave a church of people you love, and there's heaps of things that need to be done, and at times it's It's tiring. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are already feeling the pain of church planting even right now. For some of you, your your community group has already had to end because your leaders are going on the church plant and they're starting a new group together. That's hard. I'm feeling it. Four out of our five key kind of staff and volunteers are going. Four out of five. Well, four out of six now that Coops is here. But this is the shape of God's kingdom. Of life in God's kingdom. Life for us now is not about seeking first our comfort. It's not about, you know, sitting down and eating the grain that we're supposed to be sowing. Our job was never to get comfortable as followers of Jesus or to get comfortable as a church. We are to be those who dream and laugh, but we're also to get on with an important job which is often hard. But don't forget the power of this song, the power of the truth. We do it confident that God will bring an inescapable harvest at the proper time. Mike read before 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, but let me read to you again what the Apostle Paul writes to us, to people who follow Jesus. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Part of that work, part of that labour for us in 2020 as a church is starting a new church plant. And it won't be all sowing in tears. It'll be fun and exciting at times. But if we're giving ourselves fully to God's work, then then it's got to mean that there will be times of great sadness in it. And if there's not, then maybe we're not giving ourselves to the work enough. So as I finish, can I ask, are you prepared to be involved in this work? If you are, can I encourage you to take seriously those next steps that I talked about before, next steps in church planting? Can I encourage you to be praying regularly, to commit to doing that? We really are dependent on God in this. Use those prayer guides that we've given you if they're helpful, or pray in a different way if they're not. Can I also encourage you to to come along to that church planting info session on March the 4th? Come along so that you can consider going, but also so that you can know how to pray, so you can know how to help, even if you're not going. And can I encourage you to consider giving to this work financially? In the end, we want two healthy churches. We've put coops on staff. We'll need to overlap Debbie, our church administrator, with with a new administrator. This year, we're trying to invest in youth ministry. We're hiring a bus every fortnight. It all takes money. If you're not yet giving to this work and you see yourself as a part of this church family, can I encourage you to think about that? If you're already giving, maybe God is moving you to think through whether you could give more for a season. And finally, can I encourage you to serve? We need people who are prepared to do the work of God's kingdom, a work that at time is hard, that's a sacrifice, but that's worth it. See, God guarantees that what we do is not in vain he will use us to bring his harvest i 'm so often actually encouraged to see the way that people serve here. just over the weekend had the uh, youth leaders at my place, eight youth leaders who are giving so much of their time and energy and passion to serving it 's so encouraging to see, but there are still many needs that we have as a church, and it's only, our needs are only going to grow as we get closer to the plant So can I encourage you to organize? your life now so that in the second half of the year you really are available to either serve here or to serve in the plant and if you can kind of see that there's gaps but you don't have the skills yet to do them come and talk to Scott or me we'd love to point you towards where you could serve or how you could be trained to do those things and when it hurts this year by all means weep But make sure at the same time you remember what God has done for us and remember what God will do for us and that he won't let our work for him be wasted. Let's help each other not not be bitter this year in this work. And whatever you do, if you see someone sowing, don't try to talk them out of it. Don't try to discourage them from the work that they're doing. Let's let our lives be shaped according to the shape that Jesus has set for us. Laying down his life for ours. You know, when Jesus returns and and we run into Zion, into Jerusalem, our eternal home, this world perfectly restored. I'm sure that, that we're going to look like those who dream. You know, laughing, smiles on our faces that can't be wiped off. And I guarantee you on that day, we won't be thinking if only we'd... Worked more, earned more money, travelled more, played more Xbox. We just just won't be thinking like that. If anything, we'll be thinking, if I'd known it was going to be like this, well, I would have sown more. I would have told more people so that more people could be here. I would have sacrificed more. And those tears that we shed, we'll be thinking they were worth it. Because God guarantees us his kingdom, his work, his harvest is worth it. It's beyond anything we can even imagine or dream right now. Let me pray for us. Father, you know us. You know our hearts. Move our hearts, we pray, to see that your work is worth it. Your kingdom will last forever. Your kingdom is the place of true comfort true joy that won't leave us empty. Father, help us to sow and to be willing to sow even in tears into your kingdom, knowing that when Jesus returns, we'll be filled with everything that we've ever longed for. Lord, help us this year as we church plant to be willing to make the sacrifices that are going to need to be made. Lord, help us to do it weeping, but at the same time filled with the joy that you provide. And willingly, Lord, we pray that you would be at work amongst us because in our own strength we can't do this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.